Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the program. My guest today is Carl Mathias, the U.S. Marshal Service's Chief Information Officer. Carl, uh, welcome back to the program. Thank you. So it's been a couple of years since you've been on, though I did have the benefit or, or the, the pleasure of moderating a panel a couple months ago at the uh, FCICIT day where you got a little bit of time, not not all this time. So we have a ton to talk about. And that's actually where I'm going to start of, and going back to something you said at that event, which uh, you mentioned about 75 to 80 percent of your time and resources are spent on day-to-day IT activities. And I think you want to get away from that. You want to bring that much, much lower. So let's start with that. That's an IT modernization question. So let's discuss the Marshall's approach. You know, the funny thing about that modernization and and how I uh, am going to try and reduce that level and have been reducing it is nothing to do with actual IT. It's more about process. Uh, So I'll give you an example. When uh, I first arrived, uh, we had a tremendous bottleneck. Uh, in our processes for developing new applications, fielding new applications, fielding changes, things like that, where the cybersecurity folks wanted to treat everything as if it was a brand new, you know, $100 million project. And so you were having things hang up. And that was a process problem to get and, and it was just chewing up manpower. So what we did was we said, listen, we're going to adopt a risk-based approach. Uh, We're not going to run everything through every board you can. We're going to say, here's the criteria for something that is relatively minor. And I mean, seriously, as minor as changing the color on a screen or changing the label on a field and then ranging from that to, okay, we're going to make some minor modifications to data, which then has to bring in a lower level of of review. And finally, to this is a brand new large project. It's got to go through the whole ATO process, the whole nine yards. And so doing those process changes actually reduced the amount of labor we were putting into just the process of fielding things. And that's kind of what I've seen is while tools will incrementally help me, the really it comes down to process. And so what we're looking forward to is we have adopted Agile, but the next step is to take us to DevOps. And so what we expect as we begin to adopt DevOps approaches is that we'll have automated tools, in this case, helping us with a process that takes humans out of the loop uh, at various steps. And so that'll further reduce that 75 to 80 percent and free up uh, labor so that we can work on new projects. And so I would describe it more about process and fixing process, doing risk management, and uh, then the tools are kind of an incremental add to that. I want to talk more about DevOps, but before I go down that path, let me just ask this question around the manpower piece. Is one of the reasons why you want to reduce the manpower is just basic resources? We don't have enough people to continue to do all these things. You mentioned the bottleneck as one good example. Or is it what people want to do? Meaning we've heard this administration talk a lot about low value to high value work. Do we really need somebody that, that needs to check this box every single time, or can we, can this be done automatically? What's the reason, I guess, you want to make these process changes besides the obvious one of, of bottlenecks and, and cost and all that? Well, I don't think we need somebody to check the box every time. That's the whole idea is, you know, as we move toward DevOps is you take the box checker out of there. But when I talk about uh, reducing manpower, I'm, I'm actually talking about reallocating. So I'm using the wrong term here. What we want is that person to be able to work on other things that are new, that uh, are going to provide more value, going to, you know, give more capability to the the mission out there. So, you know, somewhere out there, there's a deputy is going to go through a door. 
I want to make sure they come home. And, and that's what it comes down to is what capabilities can I deliver to them? So the less I'm doing on the, the paperwork side, the more I'm doing on the capability delivery side, uh, the better off we are. A lot of people use DevOps and Agile as synonyms. You're not using it quite there. What, what do you see the differences between Agile and DevOps? They're definitely not synonyms. And so here's the difference. So Agile is a, a methodology for developing applications. So it started that way. We actually use it for everything. We do it for um, change management to our infrastructure now. But what it's saying is I'm going to – it's call it incremental, but you've got the product owner in with you, and you're incrementally rolling pieces out, showing them that as you go out, and having that product owner in there in these sprints, which can be two to four weeks, they're seeing it as it goes out. That still, though, has all the ele- – you can be agile and still have all the elements of a complete test, you know, uh, cybersecurity check, the whole nine yards. When our developer commits code under agile, it's not automa- automatically going to production. It's going to go to test and the whole nine yards. But when we go over to DevOps, I think of it as additive. I think agile helps you as you go to DevOps because you basically have your developers in there creating code or enhancing an existing application. But when they commit the code, there is an automatic set of processes, a trusted process that takes you from the developer committing to, you know, going out magically to production. And there's a whole set of philosophies, and I don't want to take up a a whole long time about it, but uh, this has been tried by uh, major companies. You know, Disney does it, uh, you know, Google, others. You know, they're putting out thousands of changes a day. Uh, I think Google it might be thousands per minute. But what it's that's more about getting your operations and your developers synced up uh, is DevOps versus Agile is more about the fielding, uh, the development itself. Where are you at in this journey right now? You guys are doing Agile for everything, but you still maybe have a little bit of, if you will, waterfallness to it. But where, so where are you at in this journey? Yeah, you'll hear Gardner uh, had an old term called bimodal IT, and uh, I'll, I'll bring that up. I used to criticize it, but they're actually right. Uh, we have some old legacy systems that the best way to handle them is through the old waterfall method. Uh, they're just minor changes, and we roll them out. But uh, everything else, yeah, we are going agile. There's still some infrastructure stuff where we haven't quite sorted out how you handle in an agile way. And so that side of it. But the software development folks, you know, there was some initial resistance. And I don't want to take credit as starting this. It was started when I came in. We just pushed it forward. And people now wouldn't think of doing it any other way. But you've got to now the DevOps side, that's a whole different animal because the operations side who are, you know, used to throwing up the the castle walls around their systems now have to open the walls to the developers, and that's a bit of a nerve-wracking experience. So slow steps on that. We're still working out the exact way we want to do it, and uh, we're actually going to be looking for vendor help along the way. Uh, let them come in and tell us what's the best way to approach this. Interesting that you had some pushback, initial kind of resistance to DevOps or Agile, I guess, Agile from the software folks. Is that because you're moving their cheese? Wait a minute, we've done this for so long and now you want me to change? Or was there something more inherent? I think it was, we've always done it this way. Our tools are set up to do it this way. Now I'm saying, well, we're going to just have to change all that. you know. And uh, once they got into it, though, I mean, I don't want to portray this like, oh, boy, everybody was against it. Actually, the developers were more than happy to head down this path. It's just that some of the people who'd had apps that had been there for you know, a decade, 
They were going, I don't know, uh, this won't work, this won't work. Well, yeah, it didn't work for that, but it works for everything else. No, and I don't think that you were presented it in a way that was, oh, look, people didn't like it and I had to force it down their throat. But it's just the example you brought up as Disney and Google and Netflix is we, we hear that all the time. There's this impression or perception that I think we all have that every software developer is like the people at Google and Netflix and Disney and places like that. And in fact, people... Like we saw with data center consolidation, they like their data center. They like their servers. They want to be able to see the blinking lights. So there's just a mindset, and I think a lot of agencies probably have the same challenge of they see it, but they're not quite ready to, to make the leap. So that's why I think it's it's worthwhile to talk maybe a little bit through about how, how, how did they make that final leap yeah. to get to the, the to be like, okay, I'll change, and I think this is a good change. I just have to be prepared for it. It's a good point. I think what it comes down to is – Leadership, and I'm not talking about just me. I mean, my whole leadership team has to say and did say, this is how we're going to do it. So, you know, if you have a problem, uh, we're happy to talk. We'll work you through it. But we're not going to do it any different way. And so you lead from the top. Uh, That's how you get through it, Jason. I mean, you just – you got to – you know, and if I could just make a comment on that, you know, we talk about building up IT skills and build, working on people's careers. Uh, what we should also talk about is how do we build leaders within our IT cadre so that, you know, when you're making these transformational changes, you need leaders in there who are going to influence their people and bring them along, be those coaches and cheerleaders and all that stuff to to bring folks. And that's what we did. We just said, uh, hey, this is where we're going. Here are the benefits. And we just kept pushing, pushing, pushing. I ho- does that answer your question? I mean, I think it does. Oh, it's as simple as that, honestly. It, it's, it's as simple as that, but it's that difficult, too, because leadership, as you've said, is, is a development issue. It's people think they're leading, but they're not. Or if they, as soon as they see that first sign of pushback or the obstacle, they go, well, Okay, for you, because, Carl, you've been here for 45 years, do it your way. But everyone else, well, now another exception, another exception. Eventually, you do have to say, listen, this is the, way we're, this is the path we're going, and this is why we need to go this way, and we're all going to be okay with it. And, and I think sometimes that's hard for leaders, especially in government, rather than the private sector, from what I've heard. I think one of the things that helped, though, uh, and I want to give some credit to my predecessor, uh, you know, Shannon Brown, the set up a program management office within my shop. And so what we did was empower them to say, when you set up your programs and the timelines, they need to be agile. Don't, you know, you've got to come ask special permission if you're going to do waterfall. And you know, after a while, nobody asked special permission anymore. Uh, it was, uh, you know, sprint, 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 sprint. And then uh, as we got into, you know, dealing with backlogs and how to handle them, because at first it wasn't, as you might guess, it wasn't perfect by any means. Still not perfect. We're still learning. But um, after a while, just people just kind of grew used to it. And I think that having the PMs lead also fill their role to force the issue, that helped too. One of the things I've heard from vendors is people in government love to say, well, we're doing agile or we're doing DevOps, but it's really waterfall with a new shiny front on it. Do you get a sense that... How did you guys at the U.S. Marshal Service protect yourself from just saying, well, we're just going to put a new skin on this waterfall approach and call it Agile? Because I think that, again, is something that, that comes up quite often. Well, I mentioned, you know, you, you make mistakes along the way. Um, you just outlined one of the mistakes. <laughs> so, yeah, we saw some of that. And what uh, the symptom of it was, in our case, was we would do these uh, extensive business process analysis, which isn't a bad thing. You really do want to understand what do you have now and where do you want to go? 
but what they turned into were, were basically delivering a set of requirements, which was exactly what you don't want to do uh, because then you feel constrained to those people leave, all the typical problems with waterfalls. So, uh, you know, over time what we've done is, you know, I, I see government agencies do the same thing. They think they're doing agile uh, when what, but you still see this massive effort up front to develop a large set of requirements, and that's the prime symptom of you're not really doing agile because you should have a list of backlog, a backlog you're working off, uh, and if they are adjusting that each sprint as things come along and putting major goals out there, that's when you kind of know they've got it. Yeah, you know, and that's my that's Carl Matthias's opinion. Other opinions will vary, but. As the planning happened, was there times where you had to be like, "Stop! That's waterfall. This is what how you know, like." What was the, the evolution of the process? Did you see some like, "Okay, this is getting there. This is getting there. Now we're here," or because it's not a switch? We know that. I mean, we've heard that many times. Well, the way it worked for us was the program management office would come in and brief the status of a program and. Yeah, I'd see some of those symptoms. And usually, I'll, you know, look, I'm not a berater. I don't yell at people. I just ask questions that kind of make people, the light goes on. You can't see me making the light bulb sign with my hand. But And so you'd ask them, well, wait a second, is the product owner introducing that? Or are you taking, where's this coming from? And then usually they go, oh, well, yeah, we kind of get it. And and it took a while. And look, I wasn't perfect. Uh, you know, I'll, I will tell you... Uh, if you go back to my Air Force Research Lab days, which was, you know, over a decade ago, you know, I tried this thing called pair programming, which was kind of a predecessor to that. I did, and we had a heck of a time with it, it but it was, it was agile. It was two-week sprints. And I, I walked out of the Air Force Research Lab describing my success rate as nine and one. And the only, one I was do, only project I was doing agile was the one I was having trouble with. But let me tell you, I, I, I describe it that way, but the one thing we found about Agile, if I could stray just a second from your question, is that you know there's a philosophy here that you want to fail early if you're going to fail, and Agile allows you to do that. And, and so when I described that one program that didn't go quite the way I wanted it to, the one thing it did do was we knew two weeks in, we had a two-week sprint, we knew there was going to be an issue. And, and after the second sprint, we began to identify the issue. And eventually, by the way, they did get it working. Uh, I happened to transfer to a different job before that. But I will say this about Agile. It will show you right up front where your issues are going to be. But it's not a panacea. Uh, it doesn't mean those issues magically go away. You have to figure out how to solve them. Very good. On that note, let's take a quick break. My guest is Carl Mathias, the U.S. Marshal Services Chief Information Officer. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Carl Mathias, the U.S. Marshal Service's Chief Information Officer. Now, Carl, before break, we were talking about IT modernization, but for you guys, it's, it's a process change rather than just bringing all the new technology. And you guys recently brought in a new uh, Chief Technology Officer, uh, Christine Fennell, and you mentioned about her role and really mapping out what the next five years for the Marshal Services look like. So, Maybe talk through not just her role, but, but what your vision is from, you know, today you're here, where are you going to be in five years? When I look at our organization, we spent several years uh, just getting some technical debt recovered. That's how I would describe it. Uh, catching up on uh, tech refresh, uh, modernizing some older systems, getting uh, some plans in place for what we're going to do with our phone systems, things like that. 
And uh, we've, we've made a tremendous amount of progress, but the, in the end, my job is to look forward. And it's easy to get caught in the trap of just looking one year ahead. I will thank the Department of Defense for training me to look five years ahead. And so that's my goal is I'll look five years ahead minimum to say, where do I want to be in five years? Where do I want to be in 10 years? Uh, the problem is you can get caught in what an old boss of mine used to call the tyranny of the urgent, uh, where you know you just work on the fire of the day and you're never getting around to developing that that roadmap of what's going to get you to where you want to be. So you know where does Carl Matthias want the marshals to be in five years? Well, I've told my staff uh, we've made our last major hardware purchase for uh, data centers. So we are in two FBI data centers. We don't own our own data center up at uh, Sejus in Clarksburg, West Virginia, and out in Pocatello, Idaho at a facility there called Pitsy. And I've got hardware in there. It's probably got three, four years of life left in it. But at the end of that, I intend to be fully in the cloud uh, to the maximum extent I can. So that implies that there is a set of steps that are going to take us from where I am now to being fully in the cloud. And that implies a technology roadmap, a process roadmap uh, that gets us there. And that's where we come into, is the organization set up to do that? And the answer was no, it was not. Uh, we were set up to, uh, you know, to handle things in the old way. I was still, we hadn't changed things since we went Agile. We had uh, adopted Agile methods, but we hadn't reorganized. We, were not, we weren't organized for DevOps. So what we did was actually made changes to the organization. And I say we deliberately, uh, you know, you could say Carl drove it, but as my team that we all got down and said, here's how we're going to put it together. One of the key things that we were missing was a true chief technology officer position with someone in there who, had, who was basically given the freedom and the time and the resources to go off and work these uh, technology roadmaps that are going to get us to the cloud, that are going to do some of the modernization we want done, uh, that are going to transition out old technology for new and why are we, you know, which system should we pick for that? Take, you know, and then down the road, certainly we're going to look at our own processes now uh, within the IT division that I run, but then there will be other operational processes along the way that we need to map out and understand where can technology, where can we bring technology to bear to assist with those processes. And that's where, uh, so we created the CTO position, and what I did was put Christine Fennell in that position. She was the deputy assistant director over operations we actually combined that with uh, the other deputy assistant director. And now her job, uh, and she's getting herself untangled from some old stuff, but her job now is to begin working that roadmap. She's getting untangled from her old duties, but now starting to actively reach out to vendors, look at things. She's uh, She and I were having a discussion last night over what major areas do we want to take a look at. And she's uh, she's going to be coming back to me in a few weeks uh, with some mapping on that, and we'll take it further. I expect this to take a while. I, I've told her this is not something we want to rush uh, because, you know, we're going to live with this. And, but that's her role, and uh, that's she's, she's off to the races. And anybody who knows Christine Fennell knows that uh, she is a force to be reckoned with. So previously, what, what type of planning were you doing at the Marshall Service, meaning you said – not much more than a year. So were you saying, okay, my goals for 2019 were these three things, for instance, or were you not even going for all of 2019? You were just looking at six months. How was it being done previously? What I would describe it as is I was informally setting those goals and communicating them to my staff. So internally within the IT division, 
they knew what the goals were. So, you know, I can tell you right now, capture uh, our modernization program is number one, still is number one, will be number one for quite a while. Then there was a, uh, we had this purchase of hardware uh, that we have that we put in the data centers. That was number two, get off the old into the new, move all of our uh, email over to Office 365, get down to SharePoint 2016, then as much as we can move into SharePoint online, you know, those are top three. There's, there were several others, but those were uh, informally communicated is how I'd put it. There wasn't a specific process that defined what those were. And, and if I could head down a path here, it troubled me that, strangely enough, that Carl Mathias was making these decisions for the agency on my own in a bit of a vacuum. So what we did uh, over the last four months was develop a, a process for agency planning of IT that's far more formal, and we have uh, got that approved through leadership now. So instead of just Carl Mathias, we are going to do what we're supposed to do. We're going to have the CFO in there. We're going to have my boss, the associate director of administration, the associate director of operations. We're going to have a marshal in there. We're going to have two chief deputy U.S. marshals. These are going to be senior people. We are going to sit down and prioritize the process, the, the projects. They'll be scored through assessments. Uh, and I want to thank, uh, you know, the CIOs over at the DEA and uh, U.S. attorneys. Uh, we're borrowing heavily from their processes because they did good work and uh, works for them. We think it'll work for us. That's been approved. So now all these things I'm talking about that we want to execute are going to be approved through leadership, through an IRB in the way that we, you know, we were always supposed to be doing, but now we've formalized it. And I think that's going to help a lot with making sure that not just my division knows the priorities, but the entire agency has visibility into the priorities and it's transparent. Sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong here, there's a little bit of a fitara in there, right? The Federal IT Acquisition Reform Act. Was that <laughs> something that your big boss, Joe Klimovich, came down and said, hey, guys, let's, let's institutionalize this fitara approach that we're doing at headquarters, but let's do it throughout the entire agency? I think that would be accurate, and it is, uh, to be uh, blunt, it's DOJ policy. <laughs> so that was part of the drill was get in line with DOJ policy. You know, it's it's easy to be informal, uh, but it's not the right way to do business. And, and you know, look, I, I can cite a dozen policy reasons we should do this, but and the real reason is, is I want a, a process that produces a priority system that the agency agrees on and that matches the agency's mission priorities. And it goes back to the simple idea that all CIOs talk about is who's your customer? What does your customer need? Yes, you could modernize the data center, but if they don't have devices in their hand that can connect back to the data center, then the best data center you have, who cares if they can't use it, if they can't get to the data, so to speak? And I think that's what this will seem to drive because you're not just – it's not just you and the CFO and your boss hanging out, but the, the deputy U.S. marshals, the marshals, all, all the people who actually use the technology. Absolutely, and that, that's why we specifically wanted to get people from the districts into the IRB, Investment Review Board, to be part of that you know, racking and stacking of priorities. And that actually is a great segue to the next question around when you talk about missionary and IT capabilities, do you have a sense of, of where that fits into your overall IT modernization? Again, going back to the FC event from a couple months ago, you talked about a warrant prisoner tracking and a judicial security systems as being among those that are being modernized. Maybe just give us an update with those two to start. When I talk about the modernization of systems, uh, you'll you'll hear me divide it into two. We have the large, the big capital M modernization, and then we kind of have the 
the, the little small m modernization slash transformation. So the big one for us, and I mentioned it already, is support of our major modernization effort called CAPTURE. It's not an acronym. It just makes it easy for all of us to remember what it's called. Uh, it was a, you know, I can tell you a story sometime about how that was picked. The way we did that, that's being developed through Agile Methods. Accenture is our partner on that. We're using Pega. Uh, and it's being developed straight to the cloud. So Amazon Web Services is what we're using for that. Going straight there. Uh, we've already delivered some cap- several capabilities from it. Uh, so the initial capability was uh, an incident alerting system so that when something goes happens at a courthouse or, or on a mission or of some sort, uh, that is then communicated to the communication center, and then that is sent out to people who are on the incident uh, list uh, to see, so they can see it. So that was one of the first capabilities that went out. And then, the, and that continues to be updated through agile sprints. The next capability was uh, a capability for judicial security to help with uh, courthouse security. One of our missions is to protect federal judges and the courthouses, and so they needed some capability. That was also as part of our judicial security mission uh, a delivery, and that has been put out. And that is continuing to be updated through sprints and through. Uh, you know, epics where you have some larger, larger releases of sprints. Uh, we have a, an update coming out on that, I believe, in the next couple of weeks and the first week of June. And then when we, the big one, of course, is our warrants and prisoner tracking system. Uh, and, and uh, so prisoner tracking is, uh, if you look at the Marshal Service budget, uh, that is the, the big percentage of our budget is managing prisoners. And so the first initial uh, capability for that is going to be coming out. And then that'll be a pilot with a couple of districts. And then in later in the fall, as we've kind of ironed the kinks out with those two districts, uh, it'll be a large rollout to the rest of the agency. And then once again, that goes into for kicking out new capabilities. It'll be these these sprints we do. And even the development, even when we're not putting a capability on the street, you know, as they're working through prison, they still do it through sprints. Uh, it's just that the capability isn't being kicked to production where somebody can access it. The capabilities that we are working on, I think, uh, and and have run into challenges with, frankly, is we want to make sure that uh, there's a mobile capability as part of this. And so you, you run into those things where, yep, it would be easy to get it out to your iPhone or your Android device. We use iPhones. But it has to be secure. And so that's where it gets tricky. And we uh, we are constantly running into challenges of, you know, developers want to put it out, you know, quick, easy way. And then my cybersecurity folks are going, hold on, time out. You know, you can't see me making the time out sign, but that's what we're doing. And uh, then you go back and have that discussion. You work through it, um, you know, and, and but we're going to get there. And so lots of capabilities coming out and it's it's getting exciting. Well, the answer is one of two things, right? It's either containers. Everything's about containers these days. Or you need one of those, remember the brick phone, the, the SMEP heads that they yeah. had back in the Army? Maybe you bring those back. Hey, that's a painful memory, but okay. <laughs> well, well, let's take a quick break so we can erase that painful memory. Okay. My guest is Carl Mathias, the U.S. Marshal Service's CIO. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Carl Mathias, the U.S. Marshal Service's Chief Information Officer. Uh, Carl, before break, we were talking a lot about DevOps. We talked a little bit a lot about Agile, and we talked about mission-focused IT. 
how are you guys modernizing certain mission systems? Another related piece to this, uh, and you mentioned this again at the FCIC IT Day, is the reduction of shadow IT. And a lot of times things pop up that you don't know that's on the network that actually could cause some serious cybersecurity concerns. I was at an event just recently where through the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program, another agency said they reduced their shadow IT by 23% because they they had a device or a sensor that started picking up, oh, look, so-and-so connected a laptop we never knew it was connected before. So talk about that effort that you're working on to really reduce shadow IT and, and really stop being, I think, that what people like to call CIOs, the CIO no, right? Yeah. The way I uh, describe this to my team is the way you reduce that and when we have reduced it. We're part of the Department of Justice, and what is the Department of Justice full of? Lawyers, right? So, and, and when people look at us, it used to be somebody would ask for something, and then we'd find a reason to say no to that. Uh, you know, you could look Bible. It's almost like the, the cybersecurity rules where the Bible and you go look or the, or the legal code and you go look and say, well, section such and such, subsection A says you can't do that. Um, you know, my attitude change on the staff was if if they're going to see us as lawyers, okay, let's not be the prosecutors. Let's be the lawyers for the defense and let's find a way to best serve our clients and find a way in there to, to, to be an advocate. That tied right back to where I was talking about, can we accept more risk as we changed our processes? Can we make our processes more streamlined? So the original viewpoint of my division was that, okay, It'll take forever if you go to those guys. So whatever you do, do not go to the IT division because just they'll just take forever. Just do it. So when we streamlined the processes and we started getting people in there, talking to them and finding ways to enable things and make it happen and talk about, you know, okay, we can't do this, but here's an alternative that you may even find is more effective. All of a sudden, that started going away. And so here's the, the change I would characterize for shadow IT I don't think we see so much as people trying to sneak around behind our back to do something. And, yes, we have mitigations in effect on our networks to to spot that and block it. Uh, Instead, what we're seeing is that the inner, you know, the IoT is really um, causing people to not understand that something has an IT component to it. And so you can – they may go buy a device thinking, well, this – this is just, you know, uh, you know, you could pick, uh, you know, drones as an example. Uh, you know, you could you could pick up a drone and not realize that that thing will want to connect to the network. They won't realize that that makes it IT. Okay, that's one example. Uh, you know, fingerprint readers, those kinds of things. Okay, if you're going to connect it to the network, it's IT, but they look at it as fingerprint reader. Well, that's not IT. That's me doing my job. So it's it's not that they're out deliberately trying to do something. Sometimes they just don't realize that hey, we've got to go through a whole set of, of checks uh, before we let that on the network, and they don't realize there was an IT component to it. So I think that's the shift we've seen. And the why have we seen that? Because we're engaging more with the customer. And so here's an example. How do you engage with your customer? Okay, if you're the CIO, you get your – she's now the CTO, Christine Fennell. <laughs> you send her and other people out on warrant squads. And you have them actually participate in serving warrants so that they can see what happens. You send them out to visit districts to talk to the marshals and the staff 
So I have pictures of Christine Fennell in body armor with a, a door ram. No, she didn't ram any doors. She wasn't allowed to do that. But, you know, great pictures of them out there. And what they came back with was wildly good stuff. And then I think the other part of that is you now have the operational person seeing the IT division take an up-close and personal interest in how they do business. And then uh, we come back with good ideas and we turn those good ideas into capabilities and we work with them on it. So, you know, we have an uh, application uh, called Shield that was uh, absolutely uh, developed in coordination with our uh, investigation and operations division. What Shield does is uh, you can take it out on your iPhone. They can uh, run a criminal history on somebody. They can read driver's licenses. And they get response times in seconds. And these, these things, if they had to go to their car, had to do it the old way or, go, or take somebody back to an office, you're talking minutes or hours. Uh, so that's a game changer. You know, from that, the operational community said, well, how, can you read fingerprints? Because they don't always want to tell us who they are. And yes, the answer was yes. So we found a way to do that, all working together the whole time. And I think doing that working together, delivering these capabilities uh, has really increased their confidence in us. And the great thing about that is it didn't cost very much. I mean, you know, delivering that capability was very, relatively speaking, very low price under you know, I think we've invested less than a million total at this point, you know, and this has been running it for, for uh, upwards of a year now. And so now we're just in maintenance mode and adding capabilities. You mentioned you have reduced shadow IT. Do you have a percentage or any sort of way to quantify it? I don't. Yeah, I wish I did. I don't have – I'd love to hear about the agency who figured out how to measure shadow IT. And I suppose if I had a, a – you know, the way you would do it is the baseline of things we're discovering – and what am I discovering today? But no, we haven't measured. And you are discovering it through capabilities like sensors like CDM or through other ways? I mean, because one of the biggest challenges is, for instance, we mentioned FATAR earlier, and you have the Megabyte Act, which talks about software licenses. But then there's other pieces and parts that also are on the network that aren't just software. It's all uh, combinations of things. Uh, and, and I don't want to get too specific, if you don't mind. But we have applications that you know are watching for exfiltration of data. We're watching for applications that aren't authorized on phones and things like that. Uh, so we can spot those and then tell the user, okay, you know, they may have just put something on they thought was okay. We just give them a warning, hey, that needs to come back off. Um, we have to be careful about uh, just doing blanket no's because there are mission needs sometimes where they have to talk to somebody using a specific way and you know, those kinds of things. Uh, then uh, w- within uh, our networks themselves, we use, uh, you know, port security, things like that to block attempts. So we'll know when somebody tries to do something, we'll spot that. And then, of course, we work with uh, the Department of Justice has a shared service for uh, called the JSOC for security, and we, we work uh, with them and use that service. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can finish our conversation, touch upon shared services. My guest is Carl Mathias, the U.S. Marshal Services Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Carl Mathias the U.S. Marshal Service's Chief Information Officer. One of the reasons why you're doing all this work, all this modernization, all this process change, is really about the data. It's all about the data. We've, we've heard that for years now. Talk about your data strategy in terms of how the CIO's office is helping justice, helping U.S. Marshals make better decisions based on the data you have. The data strategy for us, I'll be honest, it did not go the way I would have expected, okay? Uh, we 
really went whole hog into this. We uh, we have a chief data officer position. We have a staff underneath that position. And the idea was use data as an asset. It still is, by the way. That's what we want to do. What we found, though, as we got into our modernization effort is that when you are the nation's oldest federal law enforcement agency and you've been around for 230 years, uh, there's 230 years worth of ways to describe data differently, okay? And so give you an example. There were literally dozens of ways we described the name of a marshal's district. Now, there are only 94 of them, right? But do you say the district of Montana is D-MT? Do you say it's D-MT? Is it MT-D? Or did you spell out Montana? Did you spell out district? Uh, by the way, what if it's a north Northern Texas, Southern Texas, you know, and so all comes back to data governance, right? And so the first thing we're finding is we got to clean up the data we have to make sure that when the system goes out, it's, it's uh, reliable. And so a lot of our effort so far on our data has been cleanup and governance and defining standards. And uh, we've got a, a great person up there doing that, Christina Lee, working for uh, Jared Bruner over there, who's the program executive over the CAPTURE program, uh, they have been doing fabulous work going through and cleaning it up. But the point is we're working this uh, data governance, and we haven't made that transition yet over to you know, using our data more as an asset to make mission decisions, uh, agency uh, strategic decisions. And the way I describe this is in, in the end, here's where I want to see us go. I have, uh, as an example, uh, we have to decide where are we going to put – our resources, um, people resources. So how many deputies out of a new graduating class should I send off to Montana, Utah, up to uh, Connecticut or into the Superior Court here in the D.C. area? Well, there's a there, uh, he, I describe it as there's a guy. We have a guy. And if he wins the lottery, we may be in a lot of trouble, okay, because he's got the monster spreadsheet. What I want is a rational way to come in and, and use the data we have for how many arrests are we doing, how, what are the criminal statistics in an area, uh, to come in and make, you know, have it do the analysis of that data to make, help us make decisions on where to put our limited personnel resources. This is not new. It's not magic. I mean, the city of Richmond did it, and so I, I think we can too. It's, but we've, unfortunately, we're going to have to progress out of some data standardization first. Does the CDO, is that coming out of your office or is that kind of dotted line to your boss? The CDO works for the my boss. That was actually a deliberate decision. It was one I advocated because what we wanted was for the CDO to be able to speak with my boss's voice and declare this is the authoritative source of data. Because if they work for me, it's friendly advice if we say that's the authoritative source of data. If they work for my boss, it's the law. And, and then the other piece of this is – Cleaning data up, I think everyone understands that, but it also then you end up slowing down the ability to use the data because you're like, well, we have to wait till it's cleaner. It's never going to be perfect. Are you, where's that balance of, hey, when can we start using this data to make decisions or at least preliminary decisions and then we can back it up with, with some other types of data? Or do you have to get through just a certain level of cleanliness before you can get get to the decision piece? The real problem isn't that. It's just that we have a limited number of resources who can work the data issues. And right now those resources are allocated toward getting capture fielded and doing the data standardization, the governance activities associated with that. 
as that begins to calm down, we can start moving the focus of that group more toward the data as an asset and making, uh, you know, using data analytics to make decisions. And so I don't think it's that, okay, we got to clean up the data before we can use it because it's actually different data. Uh, It's just that there were limited resources. You brought up uh, this idea of shared services a couple of times. And let me go down that path a little bit because I know the Justice Department has been a big proponent of moving you guys to shared services, of offering shared services. You mentioned the data center using the FBI's data center as one example. So where does this idea of moving to shared services or potentially even offering shared services fit in with this broader discussion about modernization and, and really improving customer capabilities? Well, Jason, if I could back the discussion up a few years to tell you where my perspective comes from. When I was working for Air Force Material Command in AFMC for the Air Force, we hosted our applications in DISA data centers. They were not Air Force data centers. They were Office of Secretary of Defense data centers. And I didn't know where those applications ran. I had no idea. I would go visit these DISA decks, these giant data facilities, and then find out I had an application at that facility. That was my first exposure to somebody could offer me a service as long as they met the service level agreements. What did I care where it ran? That also progressed when I moved over to the Pentagon. I moved our Air Force email in the Pentagon over to DISA. Best day of my life was shutting down the exchange servers there. So when I came to the Department of Justice, Joe has, has been very good about wanting us to go to shared service wherever possible. My experience has said that's very positive. And so he offered Office 365 as a service for the department, and we went to it. Now, why, why do you do that? Because everybody gets nervous when you give up control. But what you gain in return for that and what I experienced in previous jobs was now you've freed up some bandwidth, mental bandwidth of your people to focus on other things. They're not worried about taking care of this server, this exchange server, this load balancer, or that. Now that's, that's Microsoft's responsibility. And you hold them to the SLAs. Uh, JMD, the Justice Management Division, Department of Justice, has been good about that. Uh, you know, we're still working through some kinks there, but it, overall, my experience has been good, and I'm you know, glad we're doing that. But then Joe takes a step further, and I don't want to give him credit for this because he could say, I want to run an empire, and he doesn't. Instead, he encourages the components that if you've got a service you can offer to the other components, uh, that you should do that and that we shouldn't all be doing our own stovepipe. So, for example, I mentioned Shield. Well, ATF and DEA also are setting up their own Shield uh, capability using the the product that we have, in some cases the instance. We're also looking at some other components within DOJ wanting to use that capability, and so we can offer that as a service to them. Are there other shared services that you guys at the Marshalls are starting to look at or consider or plan to move to? Another example for us is our voice over IP system. We did a big move into a new headquarters building where we consolidated from four buildings to one. It would have been really easy to just slap another PBX in there. Instead, what we did was we went to U.S. attorneys, and they have a voice over IP system. And so we just became part of their voice over IP system. Carl, unfortunately, we are out of time. I know we could talk longer. There's a ton going on, but we'll have you back on again. My guest has been Carl Mathias, the U.S. Marshal Services Chief Information Officer. Carl, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.
Sometimes you need to take control to make a difference. That's why with FlexPath from Capella University, you're in control. Set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move at a pace that works for you. Discover a different way forward at capella.edu.